This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello, welcome to the fifth episode of Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast, especially for plant lovers. Over in East Rustenold Vicarage, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, Herbert the Happy <laughs> Handsome Horticulturalist, who may or may not be able to remember my middle names to introduce me. Well, why don't you try me? Thordis Marie Sophia <laughs> Fredrickson. Got it. It got it in one. <laughs> Uh, so and the pronunciation here. was correct this time, I think, too. <laughs> it was perfect. Over the next 40 minutes or so, half an hour or so, we're going to just have a wonderful chat about all the plants we love, a bit of Flomo, and, of course, our special guest, who at the moment, if you're watching the video version of this, is a mystery box. So shall we do a big reveal? Who is behind the mystery window today? Let's have a look. It's me. It's Tamara J. Bridge. <laughs> Tamara Jane Bridge. J with a, a J A Y. Oh, like the bird. Like the bird. Yeah. In fact, I found a feather the other day. They are absolutely stunning. They are my favourite feathers, and you don't often find the little short blue ones, do you? So I was very pleased. And the reason you're here is because you're our award winning garden designer friend, um, seen at the likes of, of Chelsea Flower Show. Um, so Tell us a little bit about you, a kind of snapshot summary uh, introduction to you. So I am a Norfolk based garden designer and from about um, 2015, which is about five years ago, I have been working with you on the garden party. But really, that was the start of my design career because I was young designer of the year at Tatton Park, which is an RHS flower show. And since then, a friend of mine, Kate Savile, and I have worked together and we've been doing all sorts of crazy things, not least Chelsea Flower Show for a few years in a row now. Um, and we've done, um, we actually won Channel 5's Great Gardening Challenge, which was a sort of design uh, British bake-off, really. It was insanely intense, but really good fun. And yeah, at the moment, we're just enjoying being at home. We live in the middle of nowhere, running our sort of design businesses from, from the offices here. And it's, and it's lovely. And of course, you're married to uh, a fab arborist as well. So it's all gardening in the um, sort of bridge labour household. It is, although at the moment I am looking at our apple trees, which Mr. Labour has only pruned half of them. So they've kind of got like a tidy lower crown and then the top is all crazy so they're having a bit of a bad hair day <laughs> so it's bit by bit at home so uh, i mean lockdown obviously has been um a, a real a real shame for things like the chelsea flower show has it given you some positives you know more time to to sit and design and also actually be in your own garden I think I think the only way to look at all of this is to look for the positives and for for Kate and I particularly as along with everybody else that was sort of leading up to Chelsea Flower Show suddenly what you've been working towards for a whole year is is not going to happen and not only are you sort of 
trying to work out what to do next but you're also thinking what am I going to do for four weeks because you have to kind of clear your calendar almost so that was a little odd you know a little strange to get your head round and things but actually for us it meant that I actually got to see my husband for a little bit in May I got to enjoy the garden we dug half of it out so I've actually finally after about eight years got a garden that looks kind of like a designer lives here and um I think the weather's been so fabulous we've been out all the time and it's it has been nice to take the gas off the pedal a little bit I think everyone's finding that just to kind of take a, a pause and reevaluate. and actually that's been really nice and I've got some gorgeous design projects on the go at the moment so that really helps. Alan I know that you during lockdown I mean it was a weird one for you because you're so used to opening the garden and round about when you would have been opening to the public obviously everyone was locked down um, but you have just been changing things up left right and centre. Yeah well we do this all the time really I mean um, probably it's a little bit more noticeable because people that have been coming to the garden and people like you I've been telling you about what's happening and everything else but you know we, we're a great one for keeping the show going and trying to keep as, as much colour in the garden as possible and to that end we, we're not frightened of looking at a group of plants say whatever it is and, and either cutting them back or ripping them out and putting them back with some, putting the, filling the space with something else but it's, it's funny enough I mean um, Tamara was just talking about her lovely thing she's got in the pipeline uh, at the moment and all the rest of it. But the very famous garden designer came to the garden here the other day and I was talking to her and she said, God, my clients have become so demanding because, <laughs> because during lockdown, I think most people turn to their gardens and, and I think it's now, I mean, I'm noticing it in, the, in our, the numbers of visitors that we're having in the garden today and the kind of plants that they're buying they're taking plants home to make their gardens as beautiful as they possibly can um, and as nice as they possibly can and as productive as they possibly can as well. Um, and all of those things, I think, contribute to the fact that the, because of COVID-19, people feel safer outside. Um, and obviously, we're all having to lock down and to be in our own little bubbles and things like that and safe distancing if we go out. Um, but, you know, gardens are a great sense of joy to everybody and a great sense of solace when you can't do all the things that you would necessarily want to do. But here it's been, it's on, it's ongoing, it's non-stop. We like to, tomorrow are pruning our apple trees, uh, summer pruning. Um, we're doing the wisterias, we're doing hedges, uh, you name it, we're doing it. And all the way along the line, there are little things where you do improvements. For instance, I mean, I just mentioned hedges. Well, can you let that one grow up six inches to match that one on the other side? And it's very easy um, to not keep tabs on those sort of things. Um, and, you know, you suddenly notice that the, the fact that that gateway would look better if the hedges were scalloped either side, not just not just coming right up to the gate piers and things like that. So it's, it's refinement. It's adding those little touches. Um, and we're continually doing that. And I think if you have a design kind of mind and Tamara will appreciate this because she obviously has a very good one, much better than mine, I have to say. Uh, but if you have a design mind, you continually look to do those little improvements. It's a natural thing. I think as well, it's interesting with gardens, if you allow yourself to play and go, do you know, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to see what happens. If I don't like it, I can change it again. That's where you start to really understand how your space works and, and what you like and what you don't like. Because quite often the accidents or the things that you originally thought, oh gosh, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have that tree in the way? Or if I had a slightly bigger garden if you can kind of play with it and work out what you do like and what you don't like suddenly those things that were once a real 
pain become the asset to the garden. Um, here we inherited three fruit trees that are in a dead straight line that don't relate to anything. We have a hazel tree, a pear tree in the middle of the in the middle of the lawn. I had four buddleyas in a straight line, you know, and because we don't necessarily, uh, we don't own where we live, I couldn't just go in there and rip it all out and start again. And now the garden's been designed around those features and I love it. I wouldn't change it at all, you know, and that was probably before I even started down the design route that I, that I started working in the garden here. And it's a joy. And I think people really can start to experience that now that they realize the garden is somewhere to relax and enjoy and kind of lose yourself a little bit. I think also it's all about confidence and you have to have that confidence and that confidence is something that you learn. Um, you, initially you have to have a certain amount of it, but you learn to trust your judgment. And I mean, I had the guided tour yesterday of the garden with, with um, um, a group of people and I was taking them through um, uh, into a garden where I said, and we looked at one side of the garden, then we turned our backs and looked at the other side. And they, I said, what do you see? And they said, well, well there's a, a gap in the hedge leading through to a, a lovely arch gateway. And I said, yes, and either side of that gateway is, is a wall that we can't see. So the hedge between us and the wall is probably going to go. And there was a sharp intake of breath and, oh, whatever do you want to do that for? <laughs> and the thing is, it's, it's this refinement thing Mario, you just touched on it. It is this refinement thing, and you suddenly see. Um, I mean, I'm very lucky because I've got Graham, and we play bat, we play bat and ball. I always say to everybody, if you hear people shouting in the garden, don't be alarmed. It's just Graham and I having a debate. <laughs> <laughs> and they are frequent and loud, but you know, because you you're able to do that, you can, in actual fact, you know, reach a decision that makes the garden better, and so the hedge is going to go. And say no more. You'll have to come back and see. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Uh, Tamara, yes, sure you, you, you have brought some show and tell to the podcast today. I saw it briefly when we were setting up. It just sort of flashed past the camera in a very tempting blur. Yeah, I'm going to try and do it without wobbling. But I thought today, because I have to say, my garden is starting to get that sort of slightly cooked look now. We're getting into August and it looks a bit frazzled. Um, and it's been, it's been wonderful early part of the year. But the one thing I am really thrilled about is that I've grown my sweet peas this year. Hey! <laughs> and, you know, they're only modest and I know they're only sweet peas, but they're the plant that I forget I adore every year. And I normally don't get round to sowing any because um, I'm really hectically busy. And then when I come back, the last thing I really want to do from Chelsea is then <laughs> do any gardening. Um, so this is the result of me being at home and I, I absolutely adore it. And I must remember to do it every year or get someone else to do it for me. Oh, such a nice mix. Such a lovely mix. And I did leave the names in the kitchen, but I have basically got a really good old fashioned variety that has shorter stems. So they're not always so good for picking, but that's why I've got a nice little teeny tiny pot. And then for longer stems, I've used a very similar color variety, but with the more modern length of stem. So I kind of get the old fashioned scent and then the modern long stem. And then the, this little fella who is lovely and pinky and bluey, whose name I've forgotten, which is hopeless for this show, was an absolute sod to germinate. It was awful. <laughs> I literally, I sowed the whole packet and I think I got about five, um, but it's so worth it. And sometimes it's worth having the nice ones, even if they're a little bit more tricky. Um, so I'm rather pleased with those. And then my other thought of the day, when I was looking around the garden, 
is colour, which I always love. And everyone always says, oh, you're so good at colour. But I think I'm just greedy, actually. And I love all of them. And I've got a lot of blues. I don't know how well this is going to work. Maybe if I put it on the yellow. Can you see any of this? Yeah. Oh, there's a lovely orangium. So let me just try and get it closer. This is a little bit novicey. Sorry, everyone. But what I love is you've got so many different types of plants and they're all coming into their own now. So we've got miscanthus, which has got this lovely silvery kind of effect, which softens everything. We've got Oryngium, which is Oryngium Big Blue, and it has been looking fantastic since about May. And it, I will leave that until about October, probably, depending on how much rain we get. We've got this lovely soft Euphorbia, which is, I think, um, I can't say it, Alan, as always, you're going to have to interpret for me. It's the creepy one, and I want to say it's Chama Paris. Chama Sai Paris. Chama Sai Paris. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, you can, of course, be very posh and say Camacan Paris with a silent that, H. Yeah. Oh, okay. Euphorbia. <laughs> and then I've, I've taken a little tiny bit of the Agapanthus because I was too mean to pick the whole thing. <laughs> so this is um, Agapanthus. I think it's Payne's Grey. Or is that a paint colour? That might be a paint <laughs> colour. But it's gorgeous. And then we've got... I'm going to put my laptop down because this isn't working very well. There we go. We've got um, two plants that look identical, pretty much. Yeah. Could you tell the difference? No. This one is a Rigoron Quaker, Quakeroness? Quakeroness. Quakeroness, <laughs> yeah. Too much time with Kate, that is. Um, which is lovely and short, so it gets to about two foot. And this one is a Calamaris Mongolica. Yeah, Calamaris, yes. Which is a member of the Aster family. Exactly. So you've got four foot. So you've got the same effect, but on two different heights, which I think is really clever in the border for giving you a kind of harmony within your colour scheme without it all being one level. And then we've got the Stokesia, we've got Napita, Provoskia, Agastache. So you've got all these different sort of flower forms and flower structures, but the colour is really consistent. And you often hear about white borders, but at the moment in the evening, I am adoring that sort of pale blue off colour because it kind of becomes luminous. And we've got a few um, self-seeded evening primroses within that. So you get this huge, vibrant yellow splash as well. So that's just my little thought for my garden is a palette of blue. Well, I think one of the combinations that I've got in the garden at the moment, funnily enough, is a blue and white combination. And it's mm. stunning. It's stunning enough for everybody to want to stop and take photographs of it. And it is the somewhat ubiquitous now, probably, but such good value, geranium rosanne, which is mm -hmm. an herbaceous geranium which dry, grows from a central rootstock. And it rambles and clings and climbs through other plants beautifully. Um, and I've got it interplanted with Lysimacia white, uh, Lysimacia clethera. Um, it's, it's known as white swan's necks or something because the white tubular flower comes up and then crooks like a swan's neck it's quite strange in actual fact but the two melded together make this fabulous combination and I was looking at it yesterday and I was thinking I was analyzing it and thinking why does it work so well and it's not just those two things 
it's because it's growing underneath the foliage of a, an old vine called Dusty Miller, which is that lovely silvery gray color. And through on one side to that is a miscanthus called Miscanthus cosmopolitan, which has beautiful cream and gray green striped leaves. And the whole lot just makes this wonderful sort of symphony. And it was so cool on this, on what was a very hot day yesterday. I thought you were going a bit rad, Alan. You <laughs> Sorry? Cool. I thought Alan's never used the word cool before. <laughs> we're talking about temperature, so it's okay. Yes. I, I'm a sucker for blues. We've uh, we've been talking a bit about gyms on this podcast, so they they've been um, it was a belly eye I think that I got from you, Alan, which has been looking lovely yes. in my garden. But what I've realised yeah. is somehow I never planted any perovskia, and I'm assuming it's because I thought it wouldn't like my clay. But now I'm just going to go wild and experiment um, with the Russian sage because it's one of those plants. I mean, it was kind of a passing mention in your show and tell, Tamara, but I, I really believe it's one of those fantastic foils that should just be in every garden. Definitely. There it is. And what I love about it is that you probably can't see on here, but it has this lovely white stem, doesn't it? And in the winter, if you're lucky and it doesn't dissolve in the autumn rain, it will stand and you get these gorgeous white stems that look quite ghostly in your borders. So it's a it's a cracking plant. But I have to say I'm quite hot and dry here, so um, it doesn't it get too leggy. Soil. It will suit <laughs> your soil. I mean, I can understand thought it's being a little bit, um, shall we say, um, shall I shan't I about it? Because the one thing that Perovskia, the Russian sage, doesn't like is winter wet. And if you've got a clay soil, it's likely to suffer from winter wet. But providing the temperatures don't drop too low, it should be all right. Um, the other thing, you've got the room, or, and, and I know you haven't got much room, thought is really, but <laughs> you could try taking a few cuttings. It's relatively easy from cuttings. Uh, so you've got an air and a spare, as it were. Yeah. Oh, well, I think I'll, I'm just going to now when I first moved in with the clay soil, having not had it before, I, I tried. I was a bit kind of tentative. But now I just think lots of things I thought wouldn't do well are doing well. So I'm just going to try because the worst thing is they die. I told you before that there's a wonderful adage about clay soil. It, gardeners hate it, but plants love it. <laughs> well, it certainly <laughs> seems to be the case. The other thing, yeah. Tamara, your um, your peas, I think, um, as gardeners, once you know that technically you, you should be sort of trying to get ahead of the game by autumn sowing sweet peas or, you know, doing a kind of early sowing, I always used to really beat myself up um, that I hadn't necessarily remembered to do that. But actually, my sweet peas this year, I sowed them at the beginning of lockdown and they have been fantastic. It's been my best year for sweet peas. Um, and, and I just sowed a random, I think they were all pea, you know, um, peas I'd collected myself last year. Um, and I've got the most wonderful mixed selection, sown kind of as an afterthought quite late, just because I had some time on my hands in lockdown. I'm going back to this whole thing of, you know, having the confidence to just try it because you'll read in the books, oh, do it sort of December time or even earlier sometimes. And, and you, like Thordis just said, you know, you can then think, oh, well, I've missed it for this year. I think I sowed a, I sowed a batch in maybe March, um, I, and then I sowed another batch in April and I sowed another batch in, yeah, no, I just sowed the two batches. And like you say, they've been absolutely wonderful. I think the only thing that I would say is that the earlier plantings, they seem to have gotten going um, sooner, but they're finishing sooner. They don't like the heat, whereas the later batch that I sowed later on, and they're in a little bit of part shade, 
and much happier and coping with this now hot weather much better. So that's really interesting. And sometimes it is worth, I think, growing the same plant in different places in the garden and just seeing like your little tiny microclimates where something might suffer in the heat but copes really, really well in the shade on my dry soil. For you, Thordis, you might find in the stonking hot sunny part, your proboscis is fine, but it doesn't like being, you know, in the bit of shade. So have a go. I think one of the things about sweet peas is we should never ever forget the sweet peas sown early, as Tamara just mentioned, wills flower much earlier. Um, and that is their nature. And I remember um, a friend of mine, Libby Ellis, who lives in North Norfolk, she always tried to have sweet peas in flower for the Chelsea Flower Show. And if she hadn't, she thought it was a great failure. Um, and of course, she used to sow in the autumn for that. So you sow in the autumn, you keep them. They don't need to be terribly well protected over the winter. In actual fact, at Ravningham, they often plant them out in the garden in the autumn and they stand the winter before flowering in spring um, and early summer. But I do think the successional sowing of sweet peas is to be recommended because Graham and I went to Sissinghurst Castle in October about three or four years ago. And there in the cottage garden was the most wonderful stand of a bright red sweet pea, an old fashioned variety called Henry Eckford. And I couldn't believe it. It was October the 4th, to be precise, because I, know that, I remember that exactly. And there was the stand of sweet peas and they could not have been sown at the correct time or so shall i say nick nick correct time they'd obviously been sown probably as late as even early july to be blooming in october so always back your luck and always go with it because if the climate is with you you're likely to have success if it's not with you you may not but if you've got the seeds don't just waste them or keep them till next year have a go and i always think sweet peas is the quintessential scent of summer summer has arrived when i have sweet peas in the garden it's wonderful. I think we could talk about this for ages, but I've just looked down at how long we've been talking. So we probably best move on to some FLOMO, fear of missing out on a fabulous plant. Basically, the thing that is currently top of your wish list that you've seen on social media or in a garden magazine or maybe even visiting somebody else's garden. So um, I always go first because I'm always the embarrassing one who is really normal and everyone else is growing it and I don't have it because of my tiny garden. But I am. Um, I discovered Ford Abbey's Instagram. I can't believe I've not been there because I've been to Somerset on holiday now several times and not been to this garden. So it's it, the garden's on my wish list as well. But there are so many dreamy dawn and sort of sunset gloaming photos on this page. And one of them captured a martigan lily just sort of in either early morning mist or kind of early evening mist and it just looked like something out of a fairy tale and I thought why am I not growing martigan lilies so I don't know I don't know anything about them really but based entirely upon seeing something on Instagram I now want that in my garden <laughs> what color was it sort of a a dusky pink it was hard because it was kind of quite a dark photo but like a dusky pinky purple a bit like this actually <laughs> Yeah, well, what you've got, you've got probably a hybrid of the martigan lily because martigan lilies were normally in, in a kind of sludgy purpley colour. Um, and then there's suddenly um, an albino came along. And so we had the white ones. Now, why is it the white ones are twice as expensive as the purple one? <laughs> I rest my case. Anyway, <laughs> there is now a whole range of hybrid martigan lilies in a wonderful range of sunset colours. And they are absolutely lovely to grow. The typical thing to remember if you're growing those sort of lilies in the garden is that they like their feet in the shade and their heads in the sun, if you can possibly arrange that. And they like um, a slightly acidic leaf mold woodsy soil. So if you can imagine lots of leaves falling down and rotting and the soil being relatively open and full of air, that's the kind of thing that they like. But I have to 
issue a warning that we must be aware of the fact that they, they is an enormous predator on well, it's not enormous, it's just enormously annoying. The lily beetle, the red lily beetle, the little red jacketed fellow that looks so pretty but is so devastating. And it's not necessarily him that's devastating or her, it's their pups because they, they lay their eggs on the, and, and the, the larvae hang underneath the lily beetle leaves and they look like bird poo, they're disgusting. But they're the things that as they emerge, they eat the lily leaves from underneath and cause untold damage. And they are great pests. And that's interesting that they didn't come to this country until a, quite a few years ago. And it was the sudden change in climate. They arrived on the south coast and they gradually marked, marched northwards. And they've just gone for it. Well, I'll have to keep an eye out for them. There's a bit of squashing between uh, thumb and forefinger if you see the, um, the parents, isn't it, Alan? And, and to get yourself some of those little examination gloves so you can clasp the lily stem at the bottom and run your hand up the top, squashing all that horrible bird poo egg <laughs> that they have. I will bear that in mind <laughs> if I ever manage to get my it's hands on those lilies. Thought it's, I have to just tell you, that is a fun job for any child of any age. <laughs> um, Tamara, what's your flomo? Well, I was panicking about this, wasn't I, earlier, because I have this annoying habit of going completely blank whenever I'm asked a question. I thought, oh, no, but your sunset colours have reminded me that in a client's garden the other day, she had this extraordinary peachy kind of corally evening primrose. And it was just glorious. And I have to say, I've completely forgotten about it to look it up. And um, I just thought how lovely that would be in a scheme of those sorts of colours to have it sort of drifted through because they'll obviously seed around and put themselves wherever. So I, I think I might have to look that one up because I really did like that. Um, and then the other sunset colours that I was going to mention when I was having my little panic about what plants I'm missing out on is the group of agastaches because I use blackadder a huge amount because it's so useful, it's well behaved and it gives me really good structure, but it's really tall. And I think I'm realising that I've got stuck on that one and there's so many others. I think there's summer sorbet, there's summer sunset and they have these amazing range of kind of reds to pinks to oranges and their leaves can be so scented that I think that I really must have some more of those um, and just experiment with those a bit more so yeah I'm on the sunset colours with you the agastache agastache agastaches have been um, there's a whole range of them now that's slightly shorter in stature which will be very useful to a garden designer like Tamara definitely Right, so drum roll. We always like to hear what Alan's flomo is. So, what have you rustled up for this podcast? Well, I've rustled up something called. I mean, I'm not. I don't know whether I'm pronouncing this correct or not. So, I'd have to apologise to anybody who's of a horticultural bent and knows better. Um, but if you know better, you know better. So, cope. Oh, who cares? Um, it's something called Rhinocospora, or is it Rhinocospora, colorata. And it, in actual fact, doesn't have any colour about it at all. So you've brought your lovely sunset colours to the table and I'm bringing something very discreet, which is most ungrey-like, I have to say. Um, but it is, um, I just wanted to know whether, um, Tamara, you've ever heard of it. It's, its common name is the Star Rush White Top. Never heard of it. No? Say it say in Latin again. Rhinocospora or Rhinocospora. No, I don't think I have. No. Well, it's a perennial sedge. So it's a grass, a, a rushy grass that likes moisture. Is it? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but it has 
It has white bracts at the top of the um, flowering stems, which, are, which look like flowers, but then they are flowers, but they're bracts enclosing the real flowers. And the bracts are actually white, star-shaped, white with green tips. And you look at it and then you think that's quite attractive. And then you look away and you go back, it draws you back. It's interesting rather than spectacularly beautiful, much like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I, I think it has a place in garden design and I'll tell you how I'm going to use it. In the middle of our clematis walk, we have um, a large copper. When I say large copper, it's about five feet across. It's a big one. Um, and in that large copper, I have a very large black um, plastic pot, which is full of a plant called um, Thalia. If you looked at it and you just said it how it's spelled, it would be Thalia. But of course, we're far too posh here on, on this podcast to say, well, we don't talk dirty all the time. We sometimes talk posh, so it's Thalia. And Talia has paddle-shaped glaucous leaves and huge, long, arching stems um, with tiny little mauve purple flowers on them. And they're, they're very attractive in their way. And I walked past it the other day and I thought, mm, I, you're, you're not doing as well as you did last year. I think we need a change. You need rejuvenating. And this is what we were talking about earlier on in the programme. You, your garden moves on, you change things, you reinvigorate it. And so I'm going to actually have Talia out next spring when she starts to shoot. I shall put her into flower pots, bulk her up, and make sure that her roots are always wet because she likes to glow, grow beneath the water line. And I shall um, fill that black plastic tub with Rhinocospora colorata, which is the star, uh, the star rush sedge. And we'll just see how we go. I don't know whether it's going to look as spectacular as I see in my mind's eye, but I hope so. <laughs> Sounds pretty spectacular. Also, do yeah. you ever do anything that isn't spectacular at East Ruston Old Vicarage? If I do, I whip it out before you see it. <laughs> Now, final few minutes of the podcast, we've got a couple of questions. Now, one of them, I'm going to put you on the spot, Tamara, and put to you. Um, Daryl got in touch, wondering if it's possible to grow plants in air pots or whether they're only used to bring plants on. And if that is the case, if you can grow them in air pots, would aquatic pots, which have lots of holes in, have the same effect? Because tailor-made air pots are bloody expensive, says Daryl. <laughs> well, this is an interesting question for me because um, I'm quite familiar with the concept of air pots when we're looking at the big trees, the specimen trees that we use quite a lot. Um, and they are essentially coils of plastic that are wrapped around the root balls of the trees. And they have like little perforations that go evenly all the way around. And the theory is that essentially the roots will grow out to hit the side of the pot and instead of going round and round and round which can be a real issue with plants that are sitting there for a long time like the trees they hit the air and the air literally nips the tips of the roots out so it stops them going round and round and round and it creates a really good fibrous root system that can then go into the ground and be really healthy but I've not heard of anyone using them to grow garden plants in so without knowing exactly what he's trying to grow it's a little bit difficult for me to see where he's coming from um, <clears throat> and I think if he's using them to grow garden size plants you know cuttings or whatever which I'm kind of guessing that's what he's suggesting um, I think it comes back to what Alan and I were saying if you don't know the answer and it's not going to cost you a fortune try it um, I would say that aquatic pots might give you too much air so you might find that instead of having roots going all the way to the edge of the pots, they might completely stop growing sort of within the circumference of the pot too much. But have a go. 
because I can imagine it is quite expensive to be trying to propagate everything with these air pots. Um, but certainly if you're looking for bigger shrubs or bigger trees, it's a very effective way if they're going to be stored above ground to make sure that their roots aren't girdling, basically. And just quickly, uh, Foggy is into her second year growing dahlias, but thinks she must have the most earwiggy garden in the world. Any good tips for keeping the earwigs off her cosmos and her dahlias, Alan? Yes, a very picturesque way of doing it. And this is the way that um, my grandfather used to grow dahlias. Um, and, you know, you get the pesky little earwigs that get into the flowers and they nibble away at the petals, spoiling the shape of the flowers. And so what he used to do, he'd take an old terracotta flower pot, not, not a big one, you know, something like Granny would grow citrus into the house. And he'd push in some, um, some sticks or canes, um, probably a four foot bam bamboo cane would be ideal. And what you do is you stuff the flower pot full of hay or straw and then you stick it, just pop it on top of the cane. And what happens is it, it, they act as lures so that earwigs do all their walk, working and nibbling and everything at night and they want to find somewhere safe to go during the day. So they'll go up the cane because I mean, the higher the better. They'll hide in the straw or the hay that you've got in your flower pot. So after your mid-morning coffee, you go up to the, the garden and you take your daily, take the flower pots off, shake them into a bucket and then do whatever you want to do with them to get rid of them, put, put them back and, and do that every day and you'll get a lovely crop of earwigs and beautiful dahlias. That is amazing. We all need mm. to do that, though I'm very grateful that I don't have the most earwiggy gardens. So Foggy, I'm sorry you have earwigs, but hopefully with Alan Gray's help, you'll solve the problem. Um, if you want to ask a question, the easiest thing to do is to pop a comment below the video on YouTube. But you can, if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, email hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk and we'll try to answer it on a future podcast with our next mystery guest. But for the time being, Tamara J. Bridge, our award-winning garden designer, thank you for your show and tell, your flow-mo and for being generally fabulous. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's lovely to see all your lovely faces again. <laughs> Have a lovely day. a long day. time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Yeah.